Support for the Legislative Gazette comes from New York State United Teachers, working to support students, educators, and public schools as the center of their communities with Public Schools Unite Us initiative and United University Professions, representing 37,000 academic and professional employees at SUNY campuses and teaching hospitals across New York State. Frederick E. Cole, President, UUPinfo.org. New York's migrant crisis has once again become a political issue between Democrats and Republicans. This time, it's playing out in state budget negotiations. The Legislative Gazette's Karen DeWitt reports. Governor Kathy Hochul is proposing spending $2.4 billion to help house and feed some of the over 160,000 migrants who have entered New York during the past year. She wants to take $500 million from the state's reserve funds to help pay for the migrants' needs. She outlined her plans at her state budget presentation in January. But because the number of migrants and the expenses have only grown, I am proposing that we draw $500 million from state reserves that are intended for one-time emergencies like this. Hochul also wants to slow the rate of growth for funding school aid. She's proposing changing the way that the annual inflation rate is calculated and ending a provision called Hold Harmless that guarantees each school district never gets less money than it did the previous year. Those changes would result in a $420 million loss to school districts. The governor says the migrant and school aid proposals are unrelated, but Republicans who are in the minority in state government see a Connection. Senator Jack Martins, a Republican from Long Island, spoke at a news conference to support school funding, where he said schools in his Senate district face reductions. At a time when she's cutting education for our children, she's prioritizing spending $2.4 billion on a self-created migrant crisis. He blames policies begun by Democratic administrations and local governments, including designating New York City as a sanctuary city for immigrants. The residents of my district and residents across this state did not vote for New York State to be a sanctuary state. They did not vote for New York City to be a sanctuary city. They didn't vote to have undocumented immigrants come into our country and take over resources that were meant for our communities, and most importantly, in this case, for our children in our schools. Hochul says the GOP is conflating the two issues and twisting the narrative. She says Republicans in New York should instead call on their leadership in Congress to sign on to an immigration reform deal that has bipartisan support in the U.S. Senate. It's like somebody sets their house on fire and then complains it could take so long for the fire department to respond. On Monday, Hochul called out New York's Republican congressional delegation to back the deal. She says together they have enough votes to get the immigration reform approved, which Hochul says would limit border entry and bring New York billions of dollars to help house and feed migrants who are already here. The 10 Republicans who have enough just by banding together to support their state they have enough of a voice to work together with the Democrats and have enough votes to make sure that this can become a reality. Shortly after Hochul spoke, the House GOP leadership issued a statement saying for the second day in a row that the bill is dead on arrival. Hochul is accusing the GOP of wanting to keep the chaos going for political advantage in the 2024 presidential election, where President Joe Biden is likely to face Republican former President Donald Trump. 
Senate Republicans say when it comes to school aid funding, they will work to see the cuts restored. Senator Jim Tedisco, a Republican from Saratoga County, spoke at a recent budget hearing. He also criticized Hochul for wanting to use state reserve funds to ease the migrant crisis instead of directing that money to schools. I, in my conference, are not going to go quietly into the night if this or any other budget tries to balance itself on the backs of our kids, their education, their future, or the taxpayers of New York State. On that topic, New York Democrats, at least in the legislature, agree. While they have not contested the governor's proposed spending on migrants, they also say that they want to restore the school aid cuts. In Albany, I'm Karen DeWitt for the New York Public News Network. listening to the Legislative Gazette, a program about New York State government, politics. I'm David Gustina. This week, I sat down with Albany Mayor Kathy Sheehan, who's also president of NICOM, the New York Conference of Mayors. The group was lobbying the legislature this week, and Sheehan testified at a hearing calling for more aid to local governments. Sheehan also wants Albany to get its fair share of state aid, since the state pays no taxes on the property where state government sits in the capital city. Yeah, you know, we do get a pilot payment that is scheduled to expire in the 2030s, which is just around the corner. And so we were successful in convincing the state that the city of Albany as the capital needed some additional funding, and that's the $15 million of capital city funding. But what we are suggesting be done now is that the Section 19A, the section of the state law that provides all municipalities where the state owns property and takes over private property and uses it for a public use and takes it off the tax rolls, that that be amended to have a set amount that includes the capital city funding that takes into account the fact that 64 percent of our property is not taxable. Half of that is more than half of that is owned by the state. And we want that indexed with the tax cap so that we don't have to worry every year what's going to happen. Certainly don't want to be worrying as the original 19A payments for the Empire State Plaza start to uh, decrease and then eventually go to zero. Mm. That's just not right. Mm -hmm. We're never going to get that 90 acres back. It's never going to become taxable property. And so we need a permanent payment for that. So that's what we're suggesting. And we will see what happens with that. We're very grateful. The governor, for the third year in a row, included our capital city funding in her budget. I expect that it will be in the one house bills because we have a great relationship with the assembly and with the Senate. I've been over there for years now talking about this and they really seem to get it. And there's Democratic supermajorities. If there's any time when you'd have the most favorable ears to hear your plea, this would be it, wouldn't it? I would think. And I think that really what we're looking for, again, is this permanence. Let's change the law. Let's not have to have whoever the mayor of Albany is come in every year uh, with their handout 
out. Let's give us a baseline, because even with all of this money that we're proposing, the pilot payments and the capital city funding, per capita, we're still at half of what Buffalo receives. So this is not us asking for something that is outsized. Is this because population is the formula they use? It's not just population. It's really unclear what the formula is for the unrestricted aid. That would be good to know what that formula is, wouldn't it? (laughs) Well, yes, and there were spin-ups that happened Mm -hmm. when different municipalities over the course of decades, because this direct aid to municipalities has been in the budget for decades and decades and decades. So there were changes that were made when a particular city was undergoing fiscal distress. I don't want to take money from any municipality. But the other thing that we were there talking about was the unrestricted aid. That's money that basically it takes our progressive income taxes, which we're sending to the state, and it takes a very small portion of that, and it sends it back to cities based on need and allows cities to have that funding to hire police officers, firefighters, do infrastructure projects. And that money has not only not increased in the last 15 years, it's actually decreased 9%. So when literally actual dollar 9% I'm not decrease. Playing, I'm not playing games with inflation. Right. I, it literally has not grown, period, full stop. We receive $12 million in 2009, and we receive $12 million today. So inflation is up 32% since the last time they increased AIM, and we have continued to see significant challenges with respect to um, you know, workforce and our ability to fill the gap. And so what we're asking is just index it to inflation at a minimum so that we can get this direct aid. You know, The aid formulas for the schools have gone up. The state is spending more money in lots of other areas, and we want to ensure that our cities have the ability to not rely solely on those regressive taxes, sales tax and property tax, to fill the gap. Yeah. Well, and therein lies the next question. I mean, you've got such a diverse number of cities across the state. and You take a giant city like New York, and there was Eric Adams making his plea. And then you got Albany's mayor, Kathy Sheehan, of course, the head of the New York Mayor's Conference with us today. And you've got little small town mayors that have needs as well. So maybe give us a sense of how you guys get together and decide how you're going to come forward and present a unified plan. And then what do these actual dollars go toward? Sure. So, you know, as far as building consensus among the mayors, as the president of the New York Conference of Mayors, you're absolutely right. I represent a city, but the conference includes all the village mayors. And so I make sure that I am listening to them and understanding what does a a village of 900 people need? And what are their concerns and and what is really holding them back if they have a particular challenge? And so we meet and we discuss. We met starting Sunday evening and had meetings all day on Monday before some of us went up to the uh, Capitol to lobby. And so we are able to get consensus. We have a list of all of the different legislative issues that are on the table 
we vote and determine which are going to be our top 10 priorities. We have discussions around those so that we can ensure that we're fairly representing everything from New York City all the way up to a village in the North Country. So that is part of the process. And one of the things that we hear and one of the things that we are lobbying for is a pool of money for water and sewer, very similar to the pool of money that exists for roads. There's funding in the budget that's called CHIPS funding, and it's formula-based, and it allows municipalities to know, all right, every year I can predict how much money I'm going to get for paving my roads. So I know how much I have to bond myself, what projects are going to be achievable, and I can plan out. I can look out five years and figure out what I'm going to be doing with that. We'd like to be able to do the same thing with water and sewer. Many small municipalities don't have the staff to apply for the grants that are available. We're grateful for the grants that are available. It's wonderful. But they really feel like they're missing out. And so we have suggested that similar to CHIPS for roads, that there be a CHIPS-like pool of funding that municipalities can count on year in and year out as they implement their sewer projects, their water projects, their lead pipe removal projects, and not have to have it be competitive and all grant-driven. That's Albany Mayor Kathy Sheehan, a Democrat and president of NICOM, the New York Conference of Mayors. You are listening to the Legislative Gazette, a program about New York State government and politics. I'm David Gustino. Efforts in New York State to legalize wine sales in grocery stores have been fiercely opposed by liquor store owners for nearly two decades. And the issue is back again this year. The Legislative Gazette's Dave Lucas with more. Legalizing wine sales in grocery and convenience stores, along with the inclusion of streamlining liquor licensing and application processes, were raised in Governor Kathy Hochul's state of the state. The Democrat announced her intent to update alcohol and beverage control laws last year. Paul Zuber is executive vice president of the Business Council of New York State. There are 40 other states that have wine and grocery stores. 40 other states, right? So it's working in 40 other states. Now, I will, I will admit that not every state's law and every, the way every state has done it is perfect, right? But there's a lot of different models to choose from. And I think when you look at the polling, the public in New York State wants wine and grocery stores. The general public wants wine and grocery stores. They want to be able to go to the grocery store pick up their groceries, and buy a bottle of wine. In a November Siena College poll, New York voters supported being able to buy wine in grocery stores 75 to 19 percent. The survey included at least two-thirds of voters from every party and every region. Opponents argue it would put many small liquor stores out of business and cost the state thousands of jobs. Joe Maloney owns the wine shop on New Scotland Avenue in Albany. I think as a small shop owner, it's going to have a big impact on my business. Um, we don't rely as much on the big uh, national brand items as some of the bigger stores do, but it would still, I think, put a dent in our business because people will choose to get those items at the store, the grocery store, while they're there. And so, um, well, I might not see a negative effect on my business as some of the bigger stores that are anchored in grocery shopping centers. I'll still feel the, I think I'll still feel the, 
the effect of it. Sponsors of the most recent bill, Democrats State Senator Liz Kruger and Assemblymember Pamela Hunter, argue the rules are antiquated and inconvenience consumers. If the legislation passes, Maloney thinks his shop may have a better chance of survival than similar stores across the city and county. Better than most stores, I think, just because of the customer base. It's a, it's a neighborhood. Um, it's a lot of walk-ins, a lot of people you know, walking with their kids, walking with their dogs. We have you know, five colleges and three hospitals within a half a mile. And so I think, I think we're somewhat insulated in that regard, but I still think that you know, we would you know, feel the effects of, of a lot of the wines I carry going into grocery stores. Who can, by the way, get them for a lot less money than I can? Zuber served on last year's commission to study reform of the alcohol beverage control law, which was tasked with determining how best to modernize New York's Prohibition-era alcohol laws. With no agreement reached on allowing grocery stores to sell wine, he hopes lawmakers can make a decisive move this session. It needs to have a clear, open, and honest debate within the legislature. Democratic Assemblymember Pat Fahey of the 109th District in Albany is sympathetic to liquor store owners. And selling uh, wine in grocery stores, I have not supported that because we have what is a bit of an archaic system, but we have already very defined uh, liquor store distributors for wine and hard alcohol. And uh, many of those are very small business owners. It's very restricted as to who can sell it. And I don't think it would be fair to allow uh, more corporatized uh, large grocery stores to compete with these uh, small business owners. For the Legislative Gazette, I'm Dave Lucas. A bipartisan delegation of lawmakers in the Hudson Valley have joined a federal lawsuit seeking to block the Metropolitan Transportation Authority's congestion pricing plan in New York City. The Legislative Gazette's Jesse King has more. The MTA plan would toll the average car driver $15 to enter lower Manhattan south of 60th Street with higher tolls for trucks and smaller fees for motorcycles and those entering the district at night. The MTA says the plan would not only help it fund future infrastructure projects, but improve the quality of life in one of the busiest parts of New York City by encouraging people to leave their cars at home and use public transit. Speaking at Harriman's Metro North Station, however, Democratic State Senator James Scoofus says commuters west of the Hudson River have few alternatives to reach Lower Manhattan. We have very little train service here in Orange County. Uh, in fact, we don't have a train into Manhattan. We have a train to Secaucus and we have a train to Hoboken. And then we've got to hop off and meander around and hop on a different train to get into Manhattan at Penn Station. Staten Island Borough President Vito Fosella and members of the United Federation of Teachers filed the lawsuit in January, claiming the MTA plan is rushed and violates their constitutional rights. If it doesn't block the plan entirely, the Hudson Valley delegation, which also includes State Senator Rob Rollison and Assemblymembers Aileen Gunther, Chris Ekus, Brian Marr, and Carl Brabenick, is calling for a toll exemption or a crossing credit for Hudson Valley drivers. 
In its planning for the toll, the MTA estimated that Orange and Rockland counties contribute less than 2% of the 1.2 million workers who regularly commute to the Central Business District. Some groups, including snowplows and emergency vehicles, have been exempted from the toll. Crossing credits have also been approved for drivers already paying to use some city bridges and the four tunnels into Manhattan. But the George Washington Bridge, which receives the heaviest amount of traffic and costs roughly $15 for Easy Pass holders, was notably left out. Rollison, a Republican, says Orange and Rockland residents using the George Washington Bridge would wind up paying double the price. To pay that kind of money before you even start your job, and I think James's point about, you know, they got to work their first two hours just to make up what it costs for them to get in uh, to work. You know, we're talking about individuals who are first responders, school teachers, and others that have to go there. We depend on them to do the things that need to be done in New York City. Governor Kathy Hochul has strongly backed the toll. Advocates say it could help the environment and improve air quality in downtown Manhattan, but it won't be effective if too many people are allowed to opt out. MTA Chair Jano Lieber said last year that congestion pricing is responsible for about $15 billion of the Transit Authority's five-year capital program that runs through the end of this year, and that delays in its implementation have already postponed a number of MTA projects. The Hudson Valley delegation rejects that argument. Scufa says the COVID-19 pandemic has been the main contributor to project delays, pushing everything out by about two years. Assignment Ekus, a fellow Democrat, says Orange and Rockland counties have been partially funding the MTA for decades, only to receive lackluster service. The MTA has been functioning without congestion pricing for decades. We've been supplying them, as mentioned by the senator, with the money to do the upgrades. And here in Orange County, Rockland County, we haven't seen those upgrades. And that was with what I consider fairly recently, as I mentioned, that MTA payroll tax. And so we're paying for nothing right now. Our residents are being taxed with absolutely nothing coming back to them. In a statement, MTA spokesman Aaron Donovan maintains Orange County and other suburban counties were exempted by the state when it increased payroll mobility taxes in New York City in 2022, and that the Port Jervis and Pascack Valley lines were left out of the past three fare increases for the Metro North. He says the MTA allocated roughly $227 million to the lines in its latest capital plan. The MTA expects to hold a final vote on the toll and implement it this spring. Democratic Congressman Pat Ryan of the 18th District is calling on the MTA to hold in-person public hearings in the Hudson Valley. For the Legislative Gazette, I'm Jesse King. listening to the Legislative Gazette, a program about New York State government and politics. I'm David Gustina. The North Country Chamber held its annual State of the County, City, and Town late last week. The leaders of the three northern New York municipalities agreed that while there are some challenges, their communities are growing and well-poised for continued development. But announcement by the mayor of Plattsburgh overshadowed those speeches. The Legislative Gazette's Pat Bradley with more. Mayor Rosenquist, a Democrat, made his surprise announcement following his State of the City presentation Friday. Plattsburgh City Democratic Committee Chair Susan Moore says there has not been a scramble yet by potential candidates to announce a campaign. I've heard rumors, okay, so I, I can't 
possibly give you any names because I have heard just rumors, names start flying. Just based on the rumors, apparently there's some people that have some interest in running. City Republican Committee Chair David Sulier says the same is true for potential GOP candidates. At this time, we don't have a name to announce. Um, We do have people that are actively researching and seeing if it's a good fit for them. We will say that we are looking to um, endorse and promote someone that is in tune with the city of Plattsburgh's current issues. Uh, So obviously affordable and available housing, public safety, obviously access to recreation for our youth. Uh, Those are kind of the major things that we're looking for in a candidate. Um, However, at this time, we do not have a concrete candidate. Sulier notes that regardless of Rosenquist's decision, any potential candidates knew there would be a mayoral race this year. So prepping for that hasn't changed. There's still plenty of time for candidates to come out of the woodwork as the, the petition process doesn't start until February 27th. And then those individuals have until early April to collect those petition signatures before filing them with the Board of Elections. So I think there's still plenty of time for those interested in running to explore and be able to get on the ballot. Um, And keep in mind that no one is officially a candidate until they go out there and they do the petition work and they file with the board. So at this time, I would say no, we don't have any declared candidates as of yet. Rosenquist won in 2020 by 322 votes over Scott Beebe. The Republican says he will not be on this year's ballot. I have no plans of uh, running again. I have very intense family, extended family commitments that uh, I'm focused on, and I can't add any responsibility to my life uh, at this current time. Although Beebe is not running, he says he will be meeting with the city and county GOP chairs regarding potential candidates. I know a couple people have expressed interest, but now that the announcement has come up, I'm hoping more people explore that option. But whomever it is, Democrat, Independent, Republican, no party, is going to face the exact same thing Mr. Rosenquist and I faced in 2020, and that is running against a person who is not the incumbent. That changes the whole scope and dynamic of the election process because it's basically promoting yourself. You're not trying to discredit anybody for what they did in the past four, eight, or 12 years. So I'm actually looking forward to the process of seeing what's out there, and I just hope there's a couple of them that show up to run. Tuesday morning, the first candidate's name came forward. Area 8 Clinton County Legislator Democrat Wendell Hughes plans to officially announce his candidacy on Wednesday. Doing the county legislative gig in Area 8 here, I love it. And uh, I think I can help the city moving forward in the next four years. My relationship with the town, the assembly, uh, Dan Steck, and everybody that I've been working with as a legislator, I think moving forward, I think will be a benefit. Plattsburgh's mayor serves a four-year term. For the Legislative Gazette, I'm Pat Bradley. And that about does it for this week's show. The Legislative Gazette is a production of WAMC Northeast Public Radio. We had help from the New York State Public News Network. You can listen to the Legislative Gazette anytime at wamcpodcast.org or anywhere you get your podcasts. Look for program number 2406 and join us again next week at this same time. For more news on New York State government and politics, for the Legislative Gazette, I'm David Gustina. Support for the Legislative Gazette comes from 
United University Professions, representing 37,000 academic and professional employees at SUNY campuses and teaching hospitals across New York State. Frederick E. Cole, President, uupinfo.org.